Welcome to the first edition of the Eyeballs podcast, presented by Jerry Gilbert, that's me, Matt Darkin, hello, and Lynn Hester. Hello. We're three people with uh, visual impairments from the Cambridgeshire area. We all live in and around the city of Cambridge in the UK. The podcast has been put together with support from CamSite. CamSite is a charity working in the Cambridgeshire area of the United Kingdom and provides services to support visually impaired people. The intention is that there will be a new edition every two weeks. You will be able to subscribe to the podcast via the CamSite website, which is at www.camsite.org.uk. CamSite is spelt C-A-M-S-I-G-H-T. So, what are you going to hear on this podcast? Well, it will be basically a discussion between the three of us. We will be talking about all sorts of things, really. For this first edition, we've chosen to discuss several articles taken from uh, news sources, including the BBC News magazine, the Daily Mail, and the Cambridge News. The first story we're going to discuss is entitled The Last of the Glass Eye Makers, and it's an examination of the technique and skill of glass eye making, and the dying art of that craft. It's taken from BBC News magazine. And we are talking of glass eyes here, not plastic eyes. So what I do suppose, you think this, Lynn? I suppose it was something I'd never really thought about, the different materials that were being used now, because they were saying most are made of, out of acrylic now. And um, I suppose it's not something I'd never really thought about there being like a craftsman that was making eyes really and painting and creating them you know the, the little veins and things on them to make them look like eyes really yeah and then I was really surprised that the German Germany are they um world leaders in the in the yes. subject as well that was a bit surprising actually that uh, not only cars and technology it's eyes they've got everything glass yes. eyes as well I kind of realised, but only when they stated it, so it was like them stating the obvious, that that it's not just a a glass ball, Mm. but uh, it's sort of more shell-like, I suppose, that goes maybe over uh, an existing injured eye, or damaged eye, I guess. And uh, the people that they spoke to within this article and asked about that, they were um, quite concerned with the cosmetic side of of how an eye looks and whether or not your eyes match. And I guess no one's eyes really match, but you you probably don't look at them closely enough to be able to tell quite. I mean, both you and Matlin have had sight as adults. I never did. But uh, 
did you look at people's eyes? Or were you able to? Did you have that mm. kind of level no. of vision? I never could... really had that level of vision, really, no. to appreciate that, no. I, I have, and, yep, used to. Um, you know, things like past relationships, past girlfriends. I can't really remember what anyone's eyes looked like, and I'm sure as a, a little child, which is... I was about five when I lost my sight. But I'm sure I looked at people's faces. And, but I don't really remember faces very well. Well, hardly at all. And certainly I can't remember what eyes look like. Yeah. Uh, I mean, generally, you would, when you look at people, you would say that most people's eyes do just do look the same. Yeah. The two, the two eyes together do look the same. Mm. So obviously this is quite an art if you're making it from glass to create an eye that, that matches the uh, existing yeah. eye. The other thing that I thought was interesting about that was it was talking about, um, and I can't remember the name of the the man, young man in it, who's lost his sight. And there was a struggle between his girlfriend and his mother about yes. whether he should or shouldn't have a replacement eye for the injured eye. Yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> and his girlfriend said, oh, just loved the way he was, sort of thing. His yeah. mother was saying, well, you do it for other people to make you look normal, I suppose, and not make people feel uncomfortable, which I, is quite an interesting one, really. I think I go, if I had, you know, uh, one eye or a problem with eyesight in one eye, I would, like some people do, do I go for the patch rather than have it across the Yeah, yeah. A woman has just recently been killed. Oh yes, she was a journalist, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, she wore an eye. Mm. Yes, I think I'll go for that look as well. But I always wonder, you know, with a glass eye, if it's just the eyeball that's been damaged, so you have a glass eye fitted, how it would feel like when you blink? Yeah, like I mean, skin is going absolutely because it's hard, isn't it? Yeah, you get really <laughs> so, cold in the winter. The reporter who wrote the article took a glass yes. eye and showed yeah. it to various people. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine it to be sort of disturbing. I think it would just be like a nice sort of glass eye. Well, that's what people were finding it quite disturbing, weren't they? They were, and they were so. saying about. There was another woman in the article, wasn't there, who lost an eye, and she she didn't want to have a replacement eye, and then she did have it, and yeah. there was a point at which she said she looked in the mirror and said, look, I don't like you, eye, but I'll just have to accept you, yeah. or something along those lines. But she and was then, considering having her, her eyelid stitched, yeah, doesn't she? Yeah. Which is quite... Yeah. yeah I, don't know, I don't know about that. But I, I go for the patch myself. Yeah, I don't know. I... I think I would probably go for a, a prosthetic eye, but I'm not sure. I can yeah. imagine I might take it to extremes, really. I'd get all the girlfriends around and asking them sort of, uh, what colour, what shape. <laughs> I mean, imagine having, a, having a long, girly session about choosing a new set yeah, of eyes. I can see that. If you had some well. kind of, you, you had just a one, you needed, you know, you needed one glass eye. I suppose you could have something very striking. So what the message you're giving out is, well, of course, this is a fake eye. Yes. And, you know, that, but check out how cool it is. 
So our next story is taken from the Cambridge News and is entitled City Council Votes to Support Cycle Safety Campaign and it's discussing whether or not Cambridge City should have a cycle safety officer as a full-time post. Well, I'm guessing that uh, with three visually impaired people talking about this, this discussion is really going to go more into how it feels to be moving around with no sight and the contact that which we may have with cyclists rather than uh, too much on the cycle safety um, campaign debate. What do you think about this, Lynn? It's a really difficult one when you know people, old people, visually impaired people, whoever are sharing surfaces or sharing areas with cyclists, it can be really difficult. Um, and I think it's one of the actually one of the things that's become easier without now I haven't got any sight is actually now I can't see them coming. It's actually easier than when I had when some sight and yeah. was thinking they're coming straight at me. Yeah. yeah. So I think. I mean, do you have enough vision, Matt, to to know when a cyclist is approaching you? No. No. So it's. This, they're often sort of I, on you before you realise it, aren't they? It seems to me. I sort of adopt an attitude, you know, when I'm walking along. Um, I suppose, in a way, if you've got a guide dog, that's a, you know an added sim, an added visual symbol for people yeah. to keep out of the way. But I kind of think to myself, if they're going to crash into me, there isn't actually anything I can do to avoid that, you know. So there's no point in worrying about it. But at the same time, you do a lot of time times when the cyclist comes sort of flying past you you wonder, well, have they just been surprised, you know, that they nearly missed me? So you are sort of taking a certain risk, um, you know, all the time. And they do, you know, they do fly past you. But I think it, what, what I think I'm saying as well is that if you spend the whole time worrying about it and trying to somehow dodge them, even though that's not really possible, it'll make it worse. So I think if you just carry on going where you're going to go at normal speed you're comfortable with and just, you know, trust in the fact that that they're going to see you. I mean, I think you're right. Most of the time, they do. There isn't a whole load of incidents of, of people being... pedestrians being hit by cyclists, as far as I am aware... You tend to, as far as I can say, you tend to be cyclists who will fall off their own bikes just on their own, usually, <laughs> don't they? Or get hit off by cars, which yeah. is, of course, the other thing. But uh, I think the anxiety level that it causes is. Well, I can understand that, I can understand um, the anxiety, but I think if you were to attempt to do anything about it, and I don't know what you could do about it, but if you were trying, if you were trying to prevent it, it would just make it worse. You know, if you suddenly thought I can, you know, you can, I can hear a cyclist hurtling, hurtling towards me, I'm going to step to the right. Yeah, I think that's that, very unlikely that you manage to do that, isn't it? Mm. But um, I do think, you know, that when a, when a cyclist hurtles towards you, there are, you know, some natural protection of your, one's yeah, instincts that yeah. kick in, so you yeah. do 
flinch or whatever. Yeah. There's there's like three secondary schools within a mile of where I live, and when I <laughs> if you come home at a certain time of day, there are a lot of young people coming out of school on bikes. Yeah. And uh, actually, I have to put my hands up because I've also got two young people that come out of one of those schools at the time and it is can be quite intimidating when there's lots of people coming out walking and cycling but I have to say I've never actually been um, clipped or no you've but I don't know why but I, I seem I seem to naturally without trying to I just seem to feel that if there's bikes or whatever you know coming towards me Surely they've seen me. Mm. I think to myself. Yeah. Mm. Um, so therefore, I would just carry on. I'm not yeah. going to slow down or anything. I'll carry on as, as I would normally. And I just think they they must have seen me. They you know, they must be able to avoid me. To have a cycling officer to make everybody aware of how to ride your bike safely, etc., is better than not doing it, especially in somewhere like Cambridge and they have loads and loads of bikes. You have got a very strong cycling lobby in Cambridge, but yeah. who where's the walking lobby? <laughs> I mean there are a lot of people that, you know, want to take you know, children to school safely walking and but a lot of them are cycling to school with them now, I yeah. suppose. When I used to walk back across Parker's Peace, there was across Parker's Peace at one time there. Um, I hope listeners know this is a big park in green space in the middle of Cambridge, where one side of the path they had a picture of a bike, and on the other side, you know, at the start of the path, they had a picture of a person walking. So you had to cycle on one side yeah. and walk on the other. Well. For a guide, for, as guide dog owner as I am, and Matt is also, you know, dogs are not going to look at the pictures and think, oh yeah, we walk this side and, and stay on that side. Mm. You know, so there's several places like that, and certainly there's a passageway going down to where my um, children go to school. And similarly, one side of it is for pedestrians, and the but other it, side but it, is. But again, that's another situation where. You know, if you, you have to use that route, mm. you just have to trust that the cyclists are going to see you, because mm. that's all you can do. I th- yeah, and I think it's easier if you're a long cane user or a guide dog owner that people tend to see. If you're somebody who's older, say with a symbol cane, I think sometimes that's where could, it becomes be more difficult. More but I mean, if you if you were a cyclist and you've been doing this route, you know, for ages, and you know that you go on one side people walking go on the other side mm. um, and then one day you're coming up behind someone and they're walking on the cycling bit mm. if you had any, you know, any ounce of intelligence you might at first be thinking oh man you know what are you doing what are you doing you're on the wrong side but it doesn't take much as you pass to soon discover that this person has got a guide to whatever so what do you think you think that oh, fair enough it's obvious why this person is walking on the cycle route so you you know you just have to kind of put your trust in the cyclists really because I think that's all you can do and if you get hit like you do Jerry it's horrible but it's rare I would imagine I think it is rare personally when I'm out with my guide dog that's how I sort of see it really yeah. I think if, if I get hit that's that's a shame 
but really these people on the bikes whizzing past should be able to see me. The final story we're going to talk about is taken from the Daily Mail and concerns Lola Walters, an American gymnast who is legally blind. And there's a bit, a bit of his, you know, look at this wonderful blind person who can do things that blind people ought not to be able to do. Really. Yes. But and, uh, the first thing that strikes me, if you're going to do a backflip, you haven't got eyes in the back of your head, even if you can see, have you? Yes, true. And once you're on the tunnel, of course, it doesn't matter if you can see it or not. Well, I wouldn't say it does really. Speaking as an ex-gymnast. there you go. Not really. An ex-cycling gymnast. <laughs> I suppose it's like anything. I mean, if you're sort of... If she can't see and she has to walk out onto the stage or whatever, you'd need a, possibly need a hand finding the equipment. But then, of course, once you've got it... And, well, you don't need to see, do you? You're well, not really using your eyes. It did say she could see five feet, and I thought, five feet? She calls herself blind, she could see five feet? Her mother said that uh, the, the term legally blind yes. is a term used in yeah. the United States more than it is here. Yeah. Um, she didn't think was really a... Uh, a useful or helpful term to it's describe. It's a strange term, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, we say registered blind, don't we? Mm-hmm. And I would say to people, there's nothing wrong with my eyesight, I just can't see registered. You know, she's 13 years old, and uh, certainly when I was 13 years old, running around and finding things wasn't that diff- difficult, really. I think it gets harder when you get older because people's perceptions of how you should behave are more sort of put in front of you I suppose they, people don't expect you necessarily to be able to run and find something mm. without looking but you, you do build up that sort of judgement I think if you're doing something over and over again and she must be doing this over and over again to yeah. be um, you know, at the level that she's competing, mm. so a lot of it is going to be muscle memory. I know she's doing it in different gyms and different places, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, but her distances are going to be the same, yeah. really. The equipment is standard, isn't it? So, yeah, this, this is true. I mean, it's a bit like if I I know my way around my flat, but Lynn, I've never been to your place. Mm. So although in my flat it may look like that he's not even a visually impaired person, he can just get around mm. so easily. But if I went to your place, Lynn, for example, that I've never been to, I'd be totally lost from as soon as I went through the door because I've never been there before. So you're, you know what I'm saying, Jerry, is that she's got a routine. She knows that she's got a yeah. certain amount of space to do it in. Um, so I don't. Again, I don't really see how her eyesight comes into it. My balance isn't brilliant now, but my balance used to be very, very good when I was younger. Do you know what I mean? So I think that's another aspect of it, which I think people often think if you can't see, you've got very bad balance, and I don't think that's necessarily true. If you're someone who's lost vision suddenly, I guess there probably is a period when... Yeah, but that's because you've been used to, to... 
using visual cues maybe for balance, if you see what I mean. So I think that will be it for this episode of the podcast. We will be back in approximately two weeks' time. In the meantime, if you would like to contact us, please do so via email. And the email address is podcast at campsite.org.uk. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T at C-A-M-S-I-G-H-T dot O-R-G dot U-K.